Have you ever said to yourself, oh, I'm just not that creative? Well, on today's podcast, I interview Clara Nardi, a fiber artist known today for her vibrant, colorful portraits and her authentic creative blog. But early in her life, she would never have considered herself a creative at all. We'll share the story of her lessons learned in life that eventually led her to the passion she shares with her creative friends today. Welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Hello and welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast, where I explore the stories of teachers, speakers, artists, and everyday quilters to share their tips, tricks, adventures, and day-to-day life that will bring you more joy and less overwhelm in the quilting studio. I'm your host, Brandy Maslowski, also known as the Quilter on Fire, and I can't wait to share with you this week's episode. So here we go. This week's guest is Clara Nardi. She is an artist entrepreneur and coach, creating educational programs for creatives. She suddenly found herself jobless after a dream career in the corporate world and forged ahead to discover her own creative path, only to realize she's not the only one who could use the skills and systems she's learned along the way. Now she helps other creatives find their path, and we are going to dive right into her story. Clara Nardi, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to cover this topic. It's such an important topic for so many people in the quilting world. So it's nice to have you here. I always love to get to know you a little bit to start the show. So where in the world do you live with your family now? And where did you grow up? I currently live in Connecticut in the U.S. And I grew up in Ghana, West Africa. That's where I was born and raised and later moved here to the United States as an adult. Okay. And so were you surrounded by creativity as a little child growing up or did that come later in life? Um, I would say I was surrounded by creativity in some ways. My mom um, used to sew. She made um, baby clothes. And the thing that I found so creative about her sewing was the embroidery. She made embroidery beautiful things around the like the neck of the clothes the sleeves and she added these little beautiful things that made the clothes different from the usual clothes that you'd see and I remember that uh, when we started school my sisters and I had all these very pretty school uniforms although (laughs) the schools had like standard uniforms that we're supposed to wear my mom would put a little embroidery here on the pocket on here there so I did grow up with that um, environment and my dad is also very um, handy with his hands um, fixing things and all that around the house so in that way yes but not with um, an art background. No one in the family was an artist. Well, it's so nice to hear that you grew up with that little creative flair. It's like she wanted to do something special just for you, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so now I know that you have a master's degree. Do you work at a regular day job? What did you get educated in? And do you do quilting on the side? Or did you make a transition? How did that work? I have a master's in business administration, and I worked as a management consultant for um, several years. But then I transitioned into full-time artist this year. So I had worked in the corporate world as a management consultant for years, and then I lost my job. 
Mm-hmm. And when I lost my job, that's how I found my creativity again, because I was so devastated by losing the job and everything that I had um, worked for over the years was all tied into that job and that career. And then all of a sudden, I didn't have anything to go to. And I was in a very sad and dark place. And Mm -hmm. that's when I I went back to creating and trying to do something with my hands. And this is how I started. (laughs) So how did the creativity help you get through that dark time? It made me feel good about myself again, because in some ways, doing that job, that corporate job, somehow felt like that's how I, my skills were being used, right? So when I was no longer doing that job, it felt as though I had nothing anymore. I I had no way of expressing myself, of doing anything worthwhile. Yeah. So when I started creating again, it's, it just brought me joy. Mm-hmm. That sadness and that heaviness, that not knowing what to do with oneself, it's just started lifting slowly because I could just get into the space and I'll be lost for hours. I was just lost and not thinking those dark thoughts of being a failure, of not having anything to do, of uh, spending the whole, all of my life working towards something and and then not being able to um, carry through with that thing. So this gave me um, solace. It gave me um, joy. It gave me comfort. It made me feel good about myself. Yeah. And you know, it's your passion if you can completely get lost in that creative zone, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So let's talk a little bit more about your move to the United States and and how old were you? And you mentioned just that you, you came back to art after you lost your job, but when did you get into art quilting? Like in your younger years, were you a teen or adult when you started that? And then you took a little break for your education or how did that Um, work? I was never um, an art quilter. <laughs> I did some creative things um, prior, but never um, anything to do with visual art. When I was in college, um, a friend of mine and I um, came together and started a jewelry business. So we used to make hand um, made jewelry. And that was the creativity that um, I was talking about that I came back to creativity. Yeah. But yeah. it was always something that I looked at as a hobby. Creativity was never a path for me to um, follow. So it was always find a career, a stable job and work that. And creativity was just something that I did on the side. So although um, my friend and I came up with this um, beautiful concept of making jewelry and we had a company and we had some very good um, shows. It was never something that we planned to pursue. So when after college, everyone found a job and we just left it. Nobody really attended to it anymore until I lost my job. And then I I came back to um, doing something creative again. 
So did you first um, discover fabric and art quilting um, at a local guild or something? Or who introduced you to that? All right. So that's a very interesting story because um, I didn't start with art quilting um, immediately when I came back to creativity. I started by um, doing um, designs on on baby clothes, designs on blankets, designs on other stuff, other soft uh, materials. And I was doing that with a heat press, okay. all right? Um, I had gone to New York once, I'd seen um, them using a heat press on the streets and I thought it was fascinating and I bought one. And so I started playing around with that and making t-shirts and other soft um, stuff. I would design them and then print them onto um, the paper, the heat transfer paper, and then press them onto the um, shirt or blanket or whatever it was. And then a, um, a family friend who knew that I was doing that um, contacted me and said he was um, going to throw a party for his, his um, dad who was um, celebrating a milestone birthday. I can't remember, maybe 90 years or something. And he wanted to um, make handkerchiefs with something written on it to be given out as party favors um, during the um, party. And so he contacted me because he knew I was doing this thing that I would design and put them onto fabric, onto t-shirts and baby blankets and stuff like that. And so when he did, I knew that um, using the heat press to press the image onto the handkerchief was not the right method to do that and that what I needed to do was the monogram to embroider those um, that text onto the handkerchief. But I didn't have a sewing machine. I'd never owned a sewing machine. I'd never tried embroidery before, but I knew that that was the technique that needed yeah. to be done. So I went online, I searched it up. Um, I figured out how much it would cost and, um, how, how much to charge him. So I, I drew up an invoice, I gave it to him and I said, this is how much it's going to cost me to do it for you. And you need to pay me upfront. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, he did, he paid for it. And I used the money, a, a little loan from my mom. Actually, it wasn't a loan, it was a gift. My mom gave me some more money, added it to it and bought myself a sewing machine. And so uh -huh. that was my first sewing machine. Oh, that's and great. I did the job for him. It was a hundred handkerchiefs. I did all hundred handkerchiefs for him. And after that, I had a sewing machine and I didn't know what to do with it. And so I would go into my studio and I'll see the sewing machine sitting there. And I kept wondering, what do I do with a sewing machine? And that's how I started um, researching, what can I do with a sewing machine? I didn't want to make coats. That was out of the question. I wasn't interested in that. I wanted to do something creative with it. So as I started searching, that's how I came upon art quilts. Yeah. And was there anyone in particular who really inspired you? Carol uh, Fowler Gentry. Oh, yeah. I loved her, her work, the colors. It, it just, I, I saw it. I was like, I was in heaven. <laughs> oh, that's great. Okay, so let's dive into the story behind some of your incredible fiber art. Tell us about your series of colorful, strong female portraits called Black Crowns. Black Crowns is a series that I started basically about myself. I had started a journey 
of um, transitioning from treated hair to my natural hair. Mm -hmm. And it was a personal journey. And as I transitioned from feeling like I had to show up in this um, manufactured way or to meet the standards of society, the beauty standards of society, I started meeting people who were also trying to get away from this way of life, wanting to embrace them, their natural, authentic selves. So the first piece that I created in that um, Black Crown series was actually a piece that I created to honor the woman who had given me the inspiration to embrace my natural hair. And I had met that woman at um, an interview with my daughter. So I approached this woman and I said, I love the way you look with your natural hair. I wish I could wear my hair like that, but I'm not confident in doing that. And she was so loving and she was so kind. And she actually showed me the routines that she uses for her hair. She showed me her products. We exchanged um, phone numbers. She got home, she took pictures of the products and sent them to me. And that's what gave me confidence to embrace my natural hair and stop putting all the um, different um, chemicals and treatments in my hair. So the first piece I made was actually um, a tribute to her, the way she wore her hair. That's how that piece came out. And after I did that piece, I started wearing my hair the same way that she wore her hair. And I wore my hair like that for a very long time. And it was difficult for me to just let go of the bun and just let the hair loose. So yeah. the first time I was able to let my hair loose, I created another piece to celebrate that Afro hair. And so mm -hmm. that's how the series started. And then after that, it just um, it just grew from there. Different stories. I started telling stories about people, but using hair as the main focus of the stories that I was telling. Yeah. And so how many pieces were in the Black Crown series? Um, the series is ongoing. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm still working on it. I haven't um, stopped um, working on that series. And I think um, that's just going to be what I'm going to do for the rest of my my art career. Yeah, it's so great. And some of them have beautiful wraps in their hair and some have hat on and it's just, yeah, it really looks like an exploration of something that you're going through, right? right. So you also have great photography on your website and your blog and Instagram, but it's kind of hard to tell just by looking at those photos, how you actually created the pieces. So can you give us a little sneak peek into the process of designing and stitching an art piece? Do you do it directly from a photograph or how do you work? All right. So I start with a photograph. So I have the photo usually on my phone in one hand, in my left hand, and I have my um, Apple pencil in my right hand and my iPad. So I'm looking at a photo and I'm drawing it on the iPad. So I draw the figure, usually I draw the figure first. So after I'm done drawing the figure, and then the next thing is I do the hair. The hair is the next uh, major thing I do. And then after that, I design fabrics to 
go with the coats. So I figure out what I want the color scheme to be. And then I go and create patterns. I used to create the patterns in a different program in Adobe um, Illustrator. So I create the patterns for um, the fabrics in there. And then I bring it back into my um, iPad and close the um, figures. And then I decide to um, what I want the background to be. So there are like four different stages, the mm -hmm. figure, the hair, the clothes, and then the background. And so when I'm done with all of that, I send the image to Spoonflower to print onto mm -hmm. fabric. Yes. And when it's printed onto fabric, and then the next stage is stitching it. So mm -hmm. I stitch, I match the colors, and then I stitch on top. If there's something that is in the printed fabric that I decide I don't like anymore, and I want to change it, I use my um, threads to stitch on top of it and redirect um, it into the way that I want it to be. So that's the process. Well, the colors are gorgeous. Thank Can you, you tell us a little bit about your choice of fabric and color? Because you really use it in a way that's unique. I grew up surrounded by a lot of color and um, surrounded by a traditional fabric. Where I grew up, fabric is not just fabric. Fabric is for storytelling. So fabrics are part of the main culture. So we use fabrics for um, every major event in, this, uh, in the culture. So for like a baby ceremony, a baby is born, there's a specific fabric that is chosen um, to be worn by everyone during that ceremony. Uh, when there's like a wedding, there's a specific fabric that is chosen. The prints in the fabric mean something. They tell stories. The symbols in the fabric tell stories. I have the uh, fabric that uh, my mom was given when I was born. She gave it to me when I became an adult. So we have all these stories and memories tied to the fabrics. Yeah. So when I am creating my work, I'm trying to do the same thing with the work. I use a lot of symbols in the work. Um, the symbols are usually uh, Adinkra symbols and Adinkra symbols are from Ghana. And those symbols usually are like proverbs or um, wise sayings or words to live by. So I try to incorporate those symbols into the work so that they are telling a story. It's not yeah. just a visual um, image for you to look at, but there's a story behind each piece that I create. Yes. Well, it's so nice to hear that fabric is so steeped in tradition in Ghana and it, it's so meaningful. Like, I mean, it, it's so nice to have. Are you going to ever use that fabric your mom gave you for anything or are you are just going to cherish it? I'm just going to cherish it. Yeah. Yeah, that's so great. And so all of these portraits appear to be strong, beautiful women. It is like, I know that you mentioned the first one is after someone is, are any of them self-portraits or are they based on women in your life primarily? Um, they are not self-portraits. I haven't done a self-portrait yet. And even if I did, I don't think it's going to look like me because I don't try to um, create like ultra um, realism. I'm not trying to copy exactly the way the person looks. I try to infuse what the story that I'm trying to tell yeah. into the image. So the image may not look exactly 
like the reference photo that I started with. So I'm thinking that if I made a self-portrait, you, you may not be able to tell that it's me. Yeah. But so far, I haven't made a self-portrait. I take some of my photos from the um, Library of Congress. I saw some, um, some images of Black people that were taken several, several years ago. And I had this experience after looking through those images that four days after I had looked at, at those images, I still felt the presence of the people in those photos. And I promised myself, and I promised the people in the photos that I will put you on walls mm -hmm. for people to look at. I will not let you be forgotten. Yeah. So I, I go back to those images a lot and I pick a lot of my reference photos from there, but um, I use photos from everywhere. But those, those photos, I made a promise to them that um, I'll make you be seen, I'll put you on the walls of exhibitions in the homes of people and you will be seen. And that's my promise to them. And I keep working to do that. Oh, that's so great. Now, I always feature in my Tuesday podcast preview writings about each guest and photos of their quilt. So you guys can all go and see all of that there. It's all the goodness that we talk about on the show. But let's talk for a minute about the photo right behind you, Clara. The face is just extraordinary. So if you see which one I'm talking about, go to the Tuesday podcast preview so that you can see actually see the photo in the background. Um, what's the meaning behind that? So this piece is called Catching God's Eye. I'm a woman of faith and I attend church. And there's this um, tradition of wearing big hats in African-American churches. And so this piece is about the intersection of faith and fashion. And there is this saying that the women say to each other when you have this flamboyant um, hat, and it's looking very nice. They, they ask you a question, are you trying to catch God's eye? You know, so that's the, the title of this piece. And it's about um, joy, even in the presence of trouble and, and trials. And it's about the fact that um, having joy is not the absence of trouble. So that is what this piece is about. It's about um, exploring the intersection between faith and fashion and it's about joy in the presence of trouble everyday life oh that's so great now i want to just tell my listeners that if you missed the podcast the podcast preview on Tuesday, um, because you're not signed up for my newsletter, first of all, go sign up for that so you don't miss the next one. But you can also go to Clara's website. So it's claranardi.com. And that's spelled C-L-A-R-A-N-A-R-T-E-Y.com to see the photos and then follow her on social media, of course. Now we're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about Clara's path to excellence in stitching, how she grew as a quilter, the heartbreaking story behind the Charlene Lyles quilt, and how Clara's art creation journey blossomed into a creative coaching business. So don't go away. Northcott Fabrics are famous to quilters for their Stonehenge and O Canada collections. Right here on this podcast, we give away fabric from Northcott Collections, Banyan Boutiques, and Figo Fabrics. Look for all of these at your local quilt shop. Northcott, cottons that feel like silk. 
And we're back. And Clara, I'd love to know what inspired you to explore fine art portraits and stitch. And what was your process to become so good at it? You obviously grew over time because the final result is incredible. Yes, I started doing portraits when I had met that woman that I talked about previously. And what happened was that I realized the power of it of a portrait, of a person, of looking, seeing an image of another person. I realized how much of um, an impact it has on your perception of yourself, Mm -hmm. how much of an impact it has on who you aspire to become just by looking at the image of somebody. Mm -hmm. And so I realized that if I created images of people It can have the same impact on other people. It can change their perceptions. It can change their aspirations. It can make them feel good about themselves. So that is how I decided to narrow my work and focus on portraits in particular. It took me a while, as you said, it took me a while to get to where I am right now. Uh, When I started, as I said, I didn't have a sewing machine. I didn't even know how to use a sewing machine. I learned how to use the embroidery machine, the embroidery part of the machine to do that job. And then after that, I had a sewing machine and I didn't know what to do with it. So what I did was uh, for the first six months, I created quilt sandwiches, a whole pile of quilt sandwiches. And every morning at um, six o'clock, I'd wake up and do one sandwich. I would do free motion stitching on one sandwich. And I did that for um, several months. Mm -hmm. And that's how I became um, comfortable moving the sewing machine. And then along the way, um, somewhere in 2016, I did another challenge, a self-challenge, where I created one piece of work every week. And in that challenge, I wanted to um, teach myself how to draw as though I was drawing with um, pen and ink. So I was learning how to draw with pen and ink in my sketchbook, and I wanted to transfer those sketches exactly into fabric. So I wanted thread to, I wanted to use thread as I would use a line. So that was the whole challenge. Use thread as you would use a line. And I did that um, one piece a week for 52 weeks for an entire year. And by the time I was done with that, I had developed this new um, vocabulary of stitch where I am using right now, where I can use stitch to draw as though I was drawing in my sketchbook. Oh, that's so great. You know, I I hear stories about people who just really invest the time in learning, and it sounds like you did just that. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're listening right now, I want you to brace yourself because this is a heart-wrenching story we're about to talk about. Clara, I want to hear about the show you entered called We Are the Story. The eyes and the lips on your Charlene Lau's portrait are just incredible. I get a lump in my throat just looking at her. Tell us about that project and what it meant to you. So that project actually started with another um, organization called Social Justice Sewing Academy. And this came about, um, I got in touch with them during the um, George Floyd murder and the national debates about um, social justice. 
And um, I was given the name of this woman um, called Charlena. And all I knew about her was her name, her um, town, I believe is what I was given, the town in which she lived. And I had to go um, research her and create a piece to honor her, a tribute to her. And I did research her. Um, Charlena was a young woman, 30 year old woman with um, four children. She was pregnant with her fifth child. Um, she had mental issues. Um, she had um, woken up one day and thought that she had been burglarized. She called the police about it. The police came out and according to the police, when they got to her house, Charlena had a knife in her hand and they had um, asked her to drop the knife and she didn't. And they shot her. Oh they shot Charlena, pregnant woman, in front of her children in her apartment. And she died. That's absolutely devastating. Yeah. So um, uh, that was a hard piece. I think that's the hardest piece I've ever created. I didn't know what to do to honor her. I, I mean, how do you honor such a person? So that is how I created that piece. I created um, a block for Social Justice Sewing Academy. And they use it in their, um, in their bigger quilts to tell the stories of the lives that are lost in this way. However, after I was done creating that block for them, I couldn't, I just couldn't get Charlena out of my head. Mm -hmm. I wanted to tell her story a little more. I wanted, I wanted her to be exhibited. I wanted people to learn about her. So I created a bigger piece of um, Charlena, a full scale size piece of Charlena. And just around the time I was creating it, this exhibition, We Are the Story, came up and it was in response to the George Floyd murder mm -hmm. that um, Dr. Carolyn Mazwumi had put together. It was an exhibition she had put together and she was calling artists to um, bring their work. So I entered my work into that um, um, show and it was accepted. And that's how um, Charlena became part of We Are the Story. Oh, what an honor to be accepted. And, and also, what an honor to be part of that Social Justice Sewing Academy project. Yes. Where did that project end up going? Was that project on display somewhere as well? I don't know exactly where it is. And um, I'm always looking out to see whether I would see a photo of it. But I know that they joined several blocks together to create yeah. these big pieces. And they have like um, talks and um shows and then they have um, these um, workshops to talk about social justice and yeah. they display them in that and they have a book that they just came up with that they have put a lot of um, these blocks into them so I haven't seen it in the world yet yeah. but I hope to see it one day. Yeah, me too. I really want to learn more about that. So I think I will look into the Social Justice Sewing Academy and see if maybe I can have them on the show. Yes, yes. It's a very um, um, good organization um, yeah. to support. So since we're talking about, you know, displaying your art and entering shows, what have been some of the highlights of showing your artwork over the past few years? Um. Recently, I had a show in um, Massachusetts, and 
I think that was a, that, that show made me really happy because to see it was in a, um, in a high school, right? Mm -hmm. And to see the students, to see those young people responding to the work and um, being so drawn to the work and talking about it and discussing it. And it it just, that's just warmed my heart. And I I think that is what makes doing this work um, so wonderful when you see people's response to it, when they relate to the stories, when they um, see themselves represented in the works that you're doing and yeah. they can, um, it resonates with them. And, and for me, because um, I usually show to adults, I, I'm not used to seeing the reaction from the youth. So seeing the reaction from the youth was precious. Yeah, well, and it's one thing to, you know, kind of follow your passion and just explore your creative process and put it out to the world. But it's another thing to share it with youth and have an influence on that younger, that younger part of society. That's so great. So was there a moment when you kind of realized, okay, this is my thing. I love this. I need to keep going. I'm going to make this my business. Um, hmm. That's a good question. I can say there's an exact moment, but I think it's grew on me over time. And there came to a point where I realized that if I want to do better, I have to um, invest more time into it. And so I, I think that is where the decision to do this full-time came in. It was either um, keep it um, as is, or grow it. And growing it meant that's devoting more time to it. And so that's how I made that decision. And so do you offer workshops on your website? Or I know you have amazing products like prints and things like that. But what do you offer on your website? Let's talk about that. I I offer um, classes. I have courses, online courses. Um, I have a course on journaling, daily journaling. I think that journaling is a wonderful way to process one's thoughts, um, especially now in this kind of um, society where we are always busy, we are constantly on the move. I think journaling is a place that slows you down and it helps you to process your thoughts. And for an artist, it's even more special because an artist is always being asked to talk about your art why you made it, what's the meaning behind it and all that. And so having that um, ability to, to journal just helps you to process the thoughts that go into making the work. Yeah. I also teach, um, have a course on um, clarity. Um, clarity to create is the name of the course. And, and that is for people who are stuck, who um, don't know where to start and how to start. And I have a course on um, time mastery. And that course is actually about um, creating a consistent practice because you can have all the inspiration in the world. You can have all the motivation in the world. You can have all the techniques in the world. And like I said, if you cannot create a consistent practice, you cannot devote time to your practice, it will not grow. You will be able to do certain things, but you will not grow. If you want to see growth, you have to have a 
consistent practice. And that's what I teach in that course. I also offer one-on-one -on -one coaching for people who want um, professional development, want to um, do um, maybe polish up your artist statement or do exhibitions or any of the other courses that I offer. If you want to do it one-on-one -on -one with me, um, I offer that too. Yeah, that sounds really good. It's like coaching for creatives, right? Yes. Okay, and what kind of products do you offer? So I, I, I mean, we see all of your beautiful art, but I, it looks like you have it for sale as prints. Yes, I, I sell the original work as well as prints. I opened my print shop not too long ago, but um, I offer prints on fine art paper and on canvas. So you can buy um, a selection of my work um, either on fine art paper or um, on canvas. That is so great. I think this is such an important conversation because sometimes there's a notion out there that, oh, if it's a print, it's not as valuable. But I see so much value in that because you have an original and it's worth the price that you put on it. And then there's a lot of people who might not be able to afford that. So you make your art accessible to everyone by making prints. And I just think that's such a great way to do it. Exactly. Okay, now I love to ask all of my creative friends this question. What brings you the most joy? Oh, the most joy is when I'm creative, when I'm in that zone creative, whether it's drawing the original sketches or um, stitching it, doing free motion stitching. I can stitch for hours um, without seeing the time go, or I can draw for hours. Yesterday, I was drawing a portrait and I was working on the hair. I drew that hair for 12 hours. I started at 10 o'clock in the morning and I stopped at 10 o'clock at night. I ate once the whole day. So oh, wow. that's what uh, gives me joy. Yeah, you know you love it then. Mm -hmm. And I, so I want to ask a bit of a personal question. I want to know, you know, how, how has your family, your, your people who are closest to you, how do they view your art? What kind of interactions have you had with them? Are they just astonished by you and thrilled or how? How are they feeling about it? They, they love the work. They, they were surprised because, as I said, I didn't um, show any artistic um, tendencies when I was younger. Mm -hmm. um, it's a surprise to them, <laughs> mostly. It's a surprise. And they are very supportive, very supportive. And um, my, my youngest son, he, he, he says that the poetry talk speak to him when oh. he comes into the studio he he'll tell you stories about what you're saying he says this one said that and this one says oh. this and so yes they are very supportive oh that's such a great compliment mm -hmm. okay now before we move into starting to wrap things up i have a little something special i love to do with all my guests and it's called the lightning round robin it's a mm -hmm. series of rapid fire questions and yeah it's just for fun so are you ready yes i am Okay, so what is on your design wall right now? Ooh, all right. Okay, so I'm working on my first multi-figure portrait. Oh, I've, wow. Until now, done only one person in each portrait. And this is the first one in which I'm doing two people. Oh, that's exciting. I can't wait to see that. Mm -hmm. And you've already mentioned who's inspired you in the art world. Um, so what is your favorite brand of thread? Um, that's a difficult question because I use a lot of thread 
and I can't find all the values I want in one um, company. So I use Iris, Iris Thread. I use Superior Thread. I use um, a thread that is not very known, Exquisite. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I use a, a, a lot of threads because it's, I have to find the colors I want. And so yeah. I use different brands of threads. Okay, sounds good. And do you have any silly rules your family must adhere to in your studio? Um, scissors. <laughs> <laughs> They're not allowed you to touch your scissors. scissors. <laughs> yeah, you can use my scissors to cut uh, paper. Yep. Oh, they would be in so much trouble. <laughs> okay, and what do you listen to while you're quilting? Um, I listen to podcasts, I listen to gospel music, and um, yeah, those are the two main things I listen to. Okay, do you have a favorite thing you like to drink or eat in the studio? I drink tea. I drink too much tea. <laughs> Me too. Me too. <laughs> and is there anything that no one would know about you? Um, let's see. I don't know much about sports. <laughs> 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 and that's okay. I find for me, I find that I'd rather be doing the sport or trying the sport than watching the sport. Sometimes <laughs> I get all excited about watching, you know, Canada and the U S women's soccer for, for instance, and I want to just go play, but uh, okay. So we've mentioned your website, clarinardi.com where we can see everything you have to offer, including your award-winning blog. So what does that mean? You have an award-winning blog. Well, I write a lot. Um, on on Instagram where I am often it's more about the photos but mm -hmm. on my blog I write a lot about the creative journey um difficulties in the journey um the wins the successes in the journey um I give a lot of tips on what to do when you're stuck um how to grow as a creative person um I share behind the scenes of what's going on in my studio with my newsletter readers um, I talk a lot about the journey. Mm -hmm. So, of course, we can find that on your website. And yes. how did it happen that someone you caught someone's eye and you won an award for that? I don't know how that happened. I, <laughs> uh, I, <laughs> I received an email that said that your blog has been uh, selected as one of the top 20 and it listed the other blogs in the, in the list. Oh, that's so exciting. Well, it yeah. shows that you're putting a lot of effort into it and it's very meaningful to someone, right? So that's great. Yeah. Okay, so and where is the best place for people to connect with you on social media? On social media is Instagram and my handle is my name, Clara Narty. I'm okay. also on Facebook. Um, Facebook is Clara Narty Art, okay. but um, mostly on um, Instagram. Okay, so if you're checking her out on Instagram, go to C-L-A-R-A. N-A-R-T-E-Y, Clara Nardi. And now it's time to share this week's podcast giveaway. Clara is going to give away a copy of her Creative Juice Box Art Kit. This is a download and it's such a great prize. So thank you so much, Clara. Tell us what's in it. Um, it's a template that you can download and print and you can follow the template. It has instructions in it and it helps you to create a portrait of a woman with a head wrap. Oh, awesome. Yes, so and like you can a, use as many colors as you want um, to create that, that image. Oh, perfect. Okay, that's such a great prize. Thank you. Okay, now as we wrap up today, Clara, what do you want quilters to take away most from our conversation? Um, 
I'll say the easiest thing is start. Start where you are. Start with what you have. Start with what you know. You don't need more techniques. You don't need more books. You don't need more supplies. You don't need more of anything. You are enough. What you have is enough for you to start. As you start and you keep working, you will discover what you need and you'll be able to fill in the gaps. But start, just start. Oh, that is such a great message. Thank you so much, Claire. It has been wonderful chatting with you. I really appreciate you being on the show and taking time to share your story. Thank you for having me, Brandy. So that was my episode with Clara Nardi, a testament to how you can face a sudden career change, embrace your creativity, and build a business based on your passion. It's a wonderful story for sure. Now, are you loving this podcast? Take a moment right now to think of a friend who might love it too. I'd be so thrilled if you'd share this podcast or write a review on your podcast app. The kindest thing you can do to support a creator is to introduce them to your friends. And be sure to head on over to clarinardi.com and share her Instagram as well. Are you ready for some quilt destination travel? I'm taking a tour to the Birmingham Festival of Quilts in England in August 2022. And if you haven't heard, I've changed my Japan trip from June to November 2022 to coincide with the quilt show there as well. I'm so excited and I'd love to have you join me. Check it out at quilteronfire.com. Thank you for listening to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Until next time, dream big and have fun in the studio with the Quilter on Fire.